on top of all those announcements that Sarah gave you, I do have one that I just want you guys to remember at this point. Christmas Eve services, they aren't going to be outside. They're going to be inside. And uh, can you imagine indoor Christmas Eve services? Um, now, we have changed the times this year. We are not doing an 11, an 11 o'clock service uh, because we live in a neighborhood. And the last time we did it, I totally forgot that we actually are now in the middle of a neighborhood. And at midnight, it's not great to have our subs going thump, 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 thump. The neighbors do not appreciate that so much. So what we're doing is we noticed the last time we did an, an indoor one like this, the 5 o'clock was the busiest service we had because everybody had a bunch of kids. And it's like we wanted to get in there and then we'll go out and do other stuff. What we're going to do this year is we're going to do three. We're going to do services at 4, 6, and 8. And if you don't work on Christmas Eve, that 4 o'clock is going to be great. There'll be child care at the 4 and the 6 both. And then the 8, and you guys have things you want to do after that, then awesome. That's wonderful. But 4, 6, and 8 indoor. This is a message and an idea that I had to do for Christmas Eve right before COVID. And then it hit, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And so I've been saving this message. And it's the whole idea with all the stars and stuff that you see in here. It's going to be kind of cool. So put it on your calendars. You'll totally enjoy it. Also, don't forget about Agape Meals next week. You should come to one. Welcome to Element if you're new. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. On the communion tables throughout the room, there are these prayer guides, these prayer journals. And in those, you are going to get the sermon recaps for every week inside of that, as well as a short little daily devotion. If you've never spent time with God every single day during the week, this is a great way to start. It's nice and short and simple, one verse, one question, and hopefully that'll start to build the habit where after the prayer series, you will continue to spend time with God every day. There's also uh, gospel community questions, family questions, all kinds of stuff in there. But if you want to take sermon notes, there is an place to take sermon notes in those booklets. I'll figure that out later. Uh, what we do is we have these prayer journals, and these prayer journals are for you to take sermon notes in. If you like to journal when you pray, you can write down your prayers and kind of what's going on, and you can kind of maybe come back and look a, a couple weeks, a couple months later, and to see what God has actually been doing throughout the course of this journey. They're both free. They're on the community tables. We'd like for you to grab one if you don't have one. Um, if you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, really everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, and it says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, <clears throat> with all prayers and supplication. And if I cough or need to blow my nose, you've got to give me grace this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for being so good to us as a people, that you would send your Spirit that would alive and us so that we can hear what you say and follow your guidance and your leading. And I ask this day we would understand what the Spirit actually does, what you do as we walk with you into all of these places, and that our lives would be changed because of our relationship with you and that you'd be glorified in all things. Amen. Have a seat. All right. So 
We are doing, as you know, if you've been here in length of time, this series through prayer. Prayer, the series is going to go all the way up until right at the beginning of the new year. And actually, next year on Easter, I'm going to do a message that reflects back to the prayer series. I'm going to talk about Jesus' prayer for all of us. And this is what happens when I get to plan things out like I like to. I can come someplace later and it reflects back to something we've gone through, and it kind of keeps tying all these things together for us. And so we in our prayer series are going through 13 weeks. Someone said to me at the very beginning, 13 weeks, that's so long. Well, last week we talked about unceasing prayer. So 13 weeks doesn't seem so long if it's supposed to be uh, unceasing. We're hoping that through this we alleviate some of your stress around prayer, maybe some of the anxiety about how am I supposed to pray, what am I supposed to pray. This is actually week eight. And the first two weeks, it was kind of, we did theology. We talked about what prayer is and what prayer is not. We actually came up with a definition for prayer that was this. It's a continuing conversation that God has started through his word and provided by his grace, which eventually becomes a full encounter with him. That we are not a people who wouldn't ever know who God is on our own, so God has to reveal himself. And God does that through the scriptures, through his written word, and that is grace. And by understanding the scriptures, we get to step into a deeper relationship with him. And we talked about that the first couple weeks. Now, the last five weeks, we went very practical. We talked about what real prayer looks like. We talked about unanswered prayer. Steve talked about the Lord's Prayer, really the disciples' prayer. He talked about the acts form of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Last week, we did talk about unceasing prayer. And today, I'm going to step into a thing of theology one more time before we step into the next part of the series. And today, we're going to talk about praying in the Spirit. And if you like theology or talking about deep things in the Scriptures, hopefully this will resonate with you a bit. If not, this is not your holiday Sunday. But for the rest of us, let's see where we go with this. Because again, in the end, we want prayer to understand that it is a deep relationship that God wants us to have with him, that God calls us into relationship, and he wants that relationship to deepen every single day. And we keep saying prayer is about communication with God. So again, I'm going to talk about praying in the spirit. This is something that one of our elders, Mike, at one point asked me to talk about. A couple of people have asked me, you guys, actually, I got a text two weeks ago and someone said, you're going to talk about this? And I'm like, just hold your horses. We're going to get there. Now, I am a little bit nervous about it because maybe I'm not going to measure up to what you're thinking. And I'm a little bit codependent because I want you to actually hear and listen to the things that I say. But I'm also in the habit of falling short. That's why Jesus has to save me. Anyway, so we're going to talk about this idea. And it sounds otherworldly and spooky. Oh, praying in the spirit. What could it mean when the scriptures tell us to do that? And there are people who instantly have their mind go to charismatic places of rolling around or barking or things like that. But I will tell you, in the scriptures, it is much more simple and much more profound than all of that. Praying in the Spirit is essentially mentioned in three places in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 14, 15, Paul says, What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Jude, verses 20 and 21, there's only one chapter, so just 20 and 21, says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And then there's the verse that I had you stand for. I'll just read you the one little portion of that, Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit. 
Now, I'm going to briefly give you the Cliff Notes version of what this means, and then we're going to delve into this. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 8. That is on page 613 if you have an element Bible. And the Cliff Notes version for this is that the words to pray in means by means of, with the help of, in the sphere of, in connection to. So praying in the Spirit does not simply refer to our words. It refers to how we are praying. We are praying with God the Holy Spirit's leading. Romans 8.26 out of the NIV says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Sometimes people say, oh, well, this leads to words that I don't even know what I'm saying. Well, not necessarily. Praying in the Spirit here should be understood as praying in the power of the Spirit, by the leading of the Spirit, and according to the Spirit's will. That's what it's leading towards in understanding this. This is why praying in the Spirit is deep and it is profound. So we're going to talk about that. And a lot of this is going to go back to when Jesus talks about God being our Father. That's kind of the foundation of all of this. So in Romans 8, you're going to get the foundation of what this actually looks like about God's care over us. Romans 8, starting in verse 15, says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom, meaning it is God's Spirit who enables us to pray this way to the Father, so it's in the Spirit, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now jump down again to verse 26. This is out of the ESV. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, one of the most important things you'll see in here in this idea of praying in the Spirit is how we get to call God Father, by whom we get to cry in Him, in the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I have read a whole bunch of stuff about this, and I've come up with five points for you this morning, five-point sermon. Sounds like it's going to be a lot. It might be but it's not going to be overwhelming. I'll explain it. You guys will get it. I don't have a nice little acronym like, like Steve did in the Acts form of prayer with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. My five points, we're going to talk about how praying in the Spirit is foundational, it's realistic, it's positional, it's experiential, and it's communal. And that would sound like FERPIC. So I don't have a good acronym, but I'm going to walk through these. Hopefully you understand what they are by the time we get to the end of it. So first off, praying in the Spirit is foundational because prayer is foundational. Now the person that was reading a lot of this stuff actually used the word primal, that praying in the Spirit becomes primal. Now why would they use a word like primal for praying in the Spirit? It's because of the words Abba, Father. Abba is a word that kids in that day would use for dad. It's the, it's the first words they would say. So a little kid would be all, Abba, 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 and they would say, oh, he said dad, because dads are, are like that. Some of you are grandparents, and you have the weirdest names for your grandkids to call you, like, like Mima and Bipa and Farmore and Morfar, just, just these weird things. But that comes from when kids can't really make words, so they're making sounds, and it's like, this is how you say grandma, grandpa, dad, mom. I don't know what strange words you got for your relatives, but whatever. So Paul is connecting these words to the very first words that come out of a kid's mouth. Ah, ba 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 ba. Now, why would Paul say this? Why would Paul reference the most primal, instinctive, earliest form of language we come up with? Because God's a father. 
That's why, because he is our father. And when infants are like, mama, dada, mima, bipa, whatever, whatever it is, it's lift me up. I want to be safe in your arms. And I've read lots of people talk about this, that when Paul is saying when we become a Christian, the spirit himself comes in. We are born again by what the spirits work in our lives. And we are not Christians if we do not have the spirit of God. How do you know if you have the spirit of God? There becomes this, this primal drawing of you to God himself that you want to be in relationship with him. You may not always know all of the words, but there's a primal thing that draws us to him as our father. And the spirit comes in and there is this language you didn't really have before. Now, uh, someone who's a Christian, sometimes they say, well, I just ask God for stuff. Well, sometimes when you ask God for stuff, that's just a language of information and duty. Like, I got to go talk to God about my duty. I got to ask about all these things. Paul says when the Holy Spirit comes in, we're born again, something new actually happens. We're not just going to God to get things. We are going to God because we want to be in relationship with him. This is why it's primal and instinctive. We want to know God for who he is, not for what we can get from him. And without the Holy Spirit, prayer just becomes mechanical. It is Hail Marys and, and our fathers because you have to do it. You're in trouble. Something happened. Your stereo got stuck on a country music station and it won't come off it. God, what do I do? Please save me in the midst of this. But when those troubles are gone, you don't want to pray any longer. And so praying with or in the Spirit means we are living a new life. Now, certainly that means we will ask God for things. We are finite creatures. We need God in our lives to step in and save us and draw us to himself. But when that trouble and distress leaves, we still want to be with him. And that's what the Spirit draws us into. Abba Father is like a kid who comes over to my house when, they, when my dog was alive and they would say, oh, doggy, or they'd say, woof. Not that she is a wolf, but dogs make woof. And so they'd say, woof, they, they say things like that. Uh, the G ha G's have these twins. Michelle's leading music this morning. And a couple years ago, they come over to our house and they see our cats, Floki and Bear. And they just love Floki and Bear. And they go home and, and they're praying with their kids at night and the kids just want to pray for Floki and Bear. It's, there's this language of wonder and awe that kids have. And this is what the Spirit brings in us. Without the Spirit, you don't have that. But when He comes in, you start to. You start to have this primal pull, this foundational pull to God himself. A few weeks ago, when we were walking through some of these things, Jesus says, don't pray like the hypocrites to be seen by others. And I told you that's so much bigger than we think. Because we hear the word hypocrite, and we think someone who goes to church and they knock over banks on the side or, or commit adultery on the side, and yeah, that's a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite because I make fun of cats, yet I let ours sit on me all the time. But, but that's not what Jesus talks about as an example. Jesus says a hypocrite is someone who claims to be a follower but doesn't really have that private prayer life with God. A hypocrite is somebody who prays when they have to or when they're expected to, but they don't really want to. On the other hand, praying in the Spirit is this primal language that draws us to God. There is a hunger to be with God himself. That doesn't mean you have it all dialed in, but there is a primal thing that starts to draw us to God. It becomes foundational because of God's Spirit. Does that make sense? Okay, point number one. 
right there. It's foundational. Secondly, praying in the spirit then in our lives becomes realistic or real about our lives. It says the spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, a lot of people, when they hear prayer in America, the way the American church has talked about it is that prayer is all about us. It's you get what you want from God. Like there is this thing that people are told that you have a round peg, a round hole in your heart, and only the round peg of Jesus can fill that round hole, but you've been trying to fill it with the square peg of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but you need the round peg of Jesus. Who knew? And we treat Jesus like a product. And if you get that round peg in your hole, well, then nothing really bad is going to happen to you, at least not too bad. Like there's a limit to how far God will let things happen to his kids. And if you pray, you might just get everything you really want. Understanding the Holy Spirit as he leads us into prayer leads us into a much more realistic view of our lives. Because Paul doesn't say we pray, Abba, Father. He says we cry, Abba, Father. The word cry is a word of deep emotion, and it almost always references a person in distress. If you looked up that word in the Bible, when it is used, it's used of distress. I'll give you one example. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus sends his disciples off into a boat. They're, they're going out, and all of a sudden this big storm comes up. So Jesus comes walking to them on the lake. At first, they think he's a ghost, and they freak out, but then they realize it's him, and they're like, oh, thank goodness. And then Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come walking to you on the water. Now, I always think this is funny, because if it was an evil demon spirit walking on the water, wouldn't he have also said, yeah, step out of the boat? I just think, okay, it, it wasn't evil demon, it was Jesus. But anyway, so he says, step out of the boat. So Peter does step out of the boat, gets a couple steps, but then he all of a sudden looks at the wind and the waves and he gets all worried and scared and he starts to sink. And Peter doesn't go, well, this isn't good. I've got to learn how to swim and think about this. No, it says in Matthew 14, 30, it says, he cried out, Lord, save me. That word right there, cried out, that is words of pain and distress and he is freaking out. And that is the same word that is used in Romans chapter eight. Sometimes people will talk about Romans chapter 8, and they will say, oh, this is about the victorious Christian life. It's not. Romans 8 is about distress and the reality of our lives. And so Paul uses words of distress to describe our life and creation itself that is groaning and crying out and suffering. One translator will actually translate this as sighing and throbbing with pain. In verse 22 of Romans 8, it says, and we know the whole creation, the whole physical world is groaning right up to the present time. Why? Because everything is falling apart. It is not the circle of life from the Lion King. That is hogwash. The circle of life. That's not what it is. Death is our enemy. Romans 8.21 says creation is in bondage to decay. It is crying out. It is throbbing. It is groaning. Romans 8.23, if you're still there, says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. And that means that Christians also throb with pain. The world is falling apart. And I keep telling you this, because of us because of our decisions, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. And so we groan and disease hits like the coronavirus or whatever I have right now. School shootings and earthquakes, Christians die with non-Christians. There is nothing in the Bible that says, as a Christian, you're gonna have an easier life than anybody else. But there are promises. Romans 8, 26, the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
three times Paul will talk about these groanings in regard to the physical world, in regard to Christians, and then the Spirit does it. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what is happening. We don't know what is going on with all the messed upness in the world that is around us, but the Spirit does. We are continually going to live a life of weakness. The Spirit does bring God's strength, but the Spirit doesn't necessarily take away our weakness. The Spirit works with us through that weakness that we have, and we are not saved from our weakness, but He walks with us through these places, and as He does, we see deeper and deeper who God is, and it draws us deeper and deeper into relationship with Him. That's the process. It is grace that God reveals Himself to us in this way. And if we are honest, I'll tell you, our weakness is going to be continual. It's repeated. We will constantly fall. How many times, don't raise your hands, but how many times do you do something that's like, oh, I can't believe I did that again. I can't believe I treated my friends that way, my boss that way, my spouse that way. I can't believe I went and did this thing again. What in the world is wrong with me? We are frustrated and we are going to groan. Even if you think you have a pretty good life, there'll be places in your life that you start to groan because it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, when, when we experience loss, when we experience bad days, when we experience failure to live a life that honors Jesus, we, what will happen? So the question becomes, how do we groan? Do we groan on our own? And if we groan on our own without the spirit, we're going to become self-centered. We're going to feel like we're a victim. The entire world is always against us. But when we groan with the spirit, that leads us into deep relationship with God. That is prayer. Again, praying in the spirit doesn't mean that he comes and takes away all of our weaknesses, but he moves us towards the father. We get to cry, Abba, Father. It is that primal cry that leads us to a realistic view of our lives and the world around us. We have a promise that we will grow. What are we going to grow towards? Romans 8, 29, still glad you're there, says that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And that is reality. That is what we understand. We will groan in the spirit. We pray to the Father as an adopted child. There comes a deepening wisdom and there will be spiritual clarity as we grow through our weakness. If we are not groaning in the spirit towards the Father, we will continually live a life and shrink under weakness. One writer says this, and I'm paraphrasing because it's not an exact quote, but he says this, prayer in the spirit is not a consumer's tool, meaning it's not about us. It is a refiner's fire. Prayer in the Spirit is not a consumer's tool, it's a refiner's fire. It is foundational. It is realistic. Hopefully you understand those two things now. Third thing is this, prayer in the Spirit then becomes positional. Like, what in the world does that mean? Well, we come as children adopted by our Father. That's our position. All the mistakes of your life do not have to define you any longer. Your Abba Father gets to define you. When Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer to pray, our Father, it's the understanding of our position. That is God's disposition towards us. God is favorably disposed towards his children. How do we know? Because he calls himself Father. That's why we understand that's the foundation. That's how we can live in the reality of our lives. And the Spirit helps us see our position before the Father because of what Jesus did for us. Now, in Western culture today, people have a tendency to say things like, oh, everybody's a child of God. And it sounds really nice. Unfortunately, it's not true. 
Everybody's made in the image of God, and so we have dignity and value and worth, but only those who come and surrender their lives to Christ are adopted into the family of God, and we get to cry out, Abba, Father. But you have to understand, Abba, Father, those words would have been offensive to everybody in Jesus and Paul's day. Everybody in Jesus' world, whether pagan or Roman or a Bible-believing Jew, would have been offended and astounded and most likely outraged at those words. They were mad at Jesus for the way that he called God Father. Paul's words to be outrageous to us. If, you don't, if you're not just kind of, what, a little bit when you hear that, you probably don't completely understand it. To call God Abba Father means that even though he is the great king of the universe, we are also then assuming we are his heirs. We are his children. Every other religion in the world says, yes, God is so great. How dare anybody assume you're his child? Now, in our day, we're the exact opposite, right? We think we're so great that God needs us. But you look at every religion throughout the world, and it's like, what makes you think you're so great to assume this kind of intimacy with the God of the universe? The only one who ever deserved this kind of relationship with God is the Messiah, was Jesus, God's own son. But what does Jesus do? He lives the perfect life. And because he lived that life, that life then gets given to us, this word called imputed to us. It is given to us, and now we get the righteousness of Christ. Jesus gives us life sacrificially. The astounding beauty of what the gospel brings to us, when Paul says we cry, Abba, Father, he's saying that if you are a Christian, your life has been surrendered to Christ, you are born again, that means God treats you as if you were everything Jesus was because of the gospel. That's the position. And that is beautiful. Being a Christian does not mean you are hoping and trying and one day maybe God will make you his child. It means we already know that we are his children. Praying in the spirit means we pray from that position, part of the family of God. And that is the difference between the gospel and religion. In religion, people are just hoping by doing the right thing. I'll put God in my debt and he will have to let me into those pearly gates. But the gospel is that Jesus has lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died. And he has given us life and righteousness. And when we pray, Father, accept me because of what Jesus has done. Adopt me into your family. At that moment, we receive the spirit of sonship. You get to pray in the Spirit at that moment. We are adopted in. And this is why God reminding us through the Spirit of that understanding of sonship, that should change how we pray. That should change how we have relationship with God, even relationship with one another, because we have intimacy with Him. The difference between someone praying in the Spirit versus a religious person becomes the language of intimacy because of our position. Now, I am not a father. I've told you before that my wife and I tried to have kids for years, and, and we couldn't. But I know a lot of fathers, and I've talked to them about this. And I'll tell you that dads will talk so interesting about their kids, even when their kids are doing dumb things. Uh, I've talked to dads who say when their kids are pleasing them, listening to them, doing the right thing, they feel like a good father, and they smile. But they said even when their kids are displeasing and disobeying, they said they feel even more like a father because they feel a deeper responsibility for that child. Not that we want to displease God in any way, but dads have told me that they have this undying loyalty to their kids, even if they're disobeying. If your kids were employees, you would fire them. <laughs> you, just, you just would. But because they're children, they can never fall out of family. And prayer in the spirit is to be deep and strong because it is foundational, because it is realistic about our lives, and because we now understand we sit in a position as God's loved and adopted children. And that creates a language of intimacy like nothing else ever can. Fourth thing, see, 
I'm getting through these. Number four is this. Praying in the spirit then becomes experiential. It becomes experiential. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we are told here in Romans 8 that it is the spirit who convinces our hearts of the gospel. It says, and by him. That means God's spirit brings the spirit of sonship. The gospel is not that I earn my way into God's presence and God's family, but rather it's something I received. I receive adoption freely. Now, Romans 8, 15, and 16 again says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What this is telling you is that it is the spirit who comes in and convinces our spirit. He convinces us that we are children of God. Verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if you go down to verses 26 and 27, it says the same thing again. He starts groaning and crying out. It's like Paul keeps saying the same thing over and over and over. It's so repetitious. But I think Paul, by doing this, is showing us what we truly need to know. It is testimony on top of testimony. C.S. Lewis calls it higher up and deeper in. There are things that we need to remember and understand more than anything else. And we will only get that through prayer in the spirit. It is more than intellectual knowledge. Truly being children of God needs to be experiential because it needs to become real to our hearts. Now, someone once said, and I wrote this quote down, I didn't write where it came from, but probably Tim Keller, if you know me, uh, but says, the objective truth of adoption needs to be subjectively real. Now, let me explain what that means. Objective truth is what is true no matter what. We live in a culture today where objective truth is being questioned all the time. Like there are things that are just objectively true that we're like, that's not true. There are objective truths, okay? They're just true no matter what anybody says or feels. Yet those objective truths become subjectively real when they become true to our own hearts. That's the, and that's what the Spirit does. The job of the Spirit, when we cry out, Abba, Father, we go deeper and deeper. And He takes the objective truth of the gospel and He makes it subjectively real to our hearts. That testimony on top of testimony of what Jesus has done. So it's not just say your prayers. It's prayer with him takes us into deeper and deeper places where the gospel becomes more and more real. Too many people today think praying in the spirit is an experience that makes us feel good. And I'm not saying it can't. What I'm saying though is praying in the spirit is walking with the spirit into deeper places through these groanings and crying out to a foundational place of relationship with God himself. That our focus in this does not become us. It becomes God himself. Thomas Goodwin was an old Puritan preacher, died years ago, but he had this great analogy of what this looks like. And he says, so imagine you see a dad and their child walking down the street holding hands. And then at one point, the dad stops and he picks up his kid and he hugs his kid and he swings his kid around in his arms. Thomas Goodwin says this. He says, there has been no change in the status, meaning that kid is still a child. He says, but there has been a change in the experience of the status. When the child, when the father picks up the child and swings him around, he was still a child, but at that point, there's so much more experience that the child is having with the father. And he says, praying in the spirit is meant to be like that. It is meant to pull us deeper and deeper into the understanding of our status. And when that happens, it results in these joy-filled, primal, honest, realistic prayers of who God is and what he is doing. We are a people who do not have to be tossed around by jealousy and insecurity and FOMO and all of that. We get to experience God's solid saving love for us in him. Number five, see, I got through all five. Number five, prayer in the spirit is then also communal, communal, because Romans says, and by him we, 
we. When you look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talks about, you know, the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer there, what does Steve talk about? How does Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father. He doesn't say my Father. He says our Father. Jesus gives us a model of corporate spirituality. Now, I know that Jesus has said, and I have said multiple times, that we need to have a private prayer life. Yes, we do. It is so important, but we also need those around us so we can go to our Father together. We need one another. And one of the best ways to deepen our prayer life personally is to also deepen our prayer life corporately. You say, but I don't know what to say in front of people. I don't know the words to use. I don't know how to do that. What do I do? Well, this is where the Spirit intercedes for us. Our prayers don't have to be polished and put together. Real prayers aren't flowery and perfect all the time. We don't always say the right words. But God's Spirit intercedes because He knows what we're trying to say. I have a friend who sometimes will pray together, and he will, as he prays, he will say, God, can you do this, and could you do this, and can you do that? And usually, I don't stop in the middle, but when we're done, I usually say to him, can God do these things? Can God do anything? And he says, well, yeah. And I said, shouldn't we then pray, God, will you? God, would you? Because it's a whole different way of seeing who God is. God is sovereign and powerful and strong. And so we ask God that his will would be done in all that we do. It's not can you, would you? And, and he's not offended, and I'm not trying to pick apart his prayers, but it's a way for us as one another to lift one another up and steer one another back to understanding who God is. Guys, we all need relationships that are intimate enough that friends can hear you groan before God, whatever that looks like. They can hear you cry, Abba, Father. I think praying in the Spirit can also be beautifully communal because prayer is not by any means a guarantee of a comfortable life, but it is a guarantee of growing deeper through no matter what we go through, the reality of the throbbing and pain of this world. Uh, it's kind of like uh, being born as a child, right? A kid comes into the world, they get slapped, and they cry. I don't know if they still slap kids. Maybe that's child abuse anymore. I don't know, but, but kids like cry. You go from like a, a nice, balmy 98.6 to a very cold ER. And it just can't seem like a lot of fun. It's got to be a shock. But if kids don't come out and kids don't cry, the mother and the child will both die. And Paul is trying to evoke this understanding of this primal way of crying to God in the spirit that is so foundational, that is, that is realistic about our lives as we understand our position and that we get to begin to experience God's great grace and saving us as we understand it more and more. And this then steps into our communal life with one another. Paul is evoking that when he talks of praying in the Spirit. Because we pray to the Father through Jesus the Son. And the Spirit enables us to say, I know my Father loves me. And I will trust Him. That is what praying in the Spirit brings. There's this old hymn that uh, we're not going to sing this morning, <laughs> but it goes like this. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him great glory, great things he has done. As that is the understanding of what praying in the Spirit is meant to bring into our lives. This primal understanding of the grace of God that we get to cry out no matter where we are. No matter what we have been through, we get to cry out because we have a position as God's loved children. And the Spirit leads us deeper and deeper into that. And when we pray in the Spirit, He reminds us of the gospel in all that we say, in all that we do. And this is one of the reasons that we as Elman, as a church, also want to be a people who consistently bring us back to a place of understanding what God does with us 
and through us. This is why every week we come to communion. By the way, there's no communion wafers on this table up here, by the way, if anybody wants to throw some crackers on there real quick. But um, uh, we come to communion. Go to this table because there's crackers on this one. <laughs> and in communion, we remember what Christ did to save us. When, when the Holy Spirit moves us to walk us in deeper places, we understand better what Christ did in his death for us and his resurrection. It becomes real. It becomes a place where we say, I am not perfect. I don't have it all together. I have rebelled. I've run away from God. But God in his grace has come to rescue and save me, to bring me back to himself. And then God takes and places us into a family together where we as a people get to gather and worship God corporately as well. We get to cry out, Abba, Father, corporately with one another. There is such beauty that the gospel brings into our lives. And at communion, we remember this, that God is the one who rescued and saved us and brought us to himself. And if you guys need prayer this morning, maybe you're thoroughly confused about praying in the spirit and what that means and what it looks like, right across the way in the lounge, there'll be some people to pray with you. If you have questions, they'll even answer your questions. If they can't answer your questions, they'll grab one of us and we'll come and answer those questions. So it's not just for prayer. It's questions or anything. And if we, we'd love to be able to pray with you. If you are someone who wants to understand what that foundationalness of a relationship with Jesus actually looks like, that we get to live in the grace of God and all that we do. There's offering boxes next to all the doors. We give because God gave so much to us. At Element, we do not pass a plate. It is always meant to be a response to what God has done. And so that's how we give. We give in generosity because our God has been generous with us. And so you have that opportunity. And I'd encourage you to grab the, the prayer journals and in there, just start to read through some of those questions with one another. Ask one another the questions. Ask one another, you know, what the, the places where you forget the foundationalness and the realisticness of, of what prayer in the Spirit actually looks like. And maybe what you thought prayer in the Spirit is versus maybe what it actually is. The depth and the grace that God is drawing us to himself and reminding us of his goodness as we get to be a people who communally with one another get to remind one another of the gospel and pray with one another in real foundational ways because God is good. Let's pray. Spirit, this morning we ask that you would move us to be a people who understand the foundation of where we stand and that it is all because of the good news of what you did to save us. And I ask for those in this room who have never come to a place and understood their position that they would pray, Father, save me because of what Jesus has done. Have me understand my position as you remove my sins and restore me to new life and adopt me in as your child. God, I ask that we would understand that enough that we would pray from a position of understanding our loving Father, even in the midst of when we have done just dumb things, that we would still come to you and stand before you understanding our position as loved children. Not that we would ever be proud of our sin, 
but that we'd be broken and undone because of your great grace that has been given to us in the gospel. And so I ask that we would step into this life in the reality of what it is, in those places that we groan and cry, and those groans and those cries would lead us deeper and closer to you. And that we would come to a place where we experience the Spirit drawing us deeper and deeper into the understanding of the good news. And then that we, as your children, would step into this world and glorify and worship you in all that we do so that you are lifted up, that our lives would be completely surrendered to you. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen. So drop the curtains. Just take a moment right now before you come to communion, before we sing a couple songs, and ask God in this moment to make what he has done in the gospel real to you. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you're in a place where you've understood the depth of what God has done to save us, to adopt us in. But take a few moments right now and just say, God, teach me positionally where I stand with you because of what Jesus has done. And hopefully when you begin to understand that, you'll experience the excitement of what it means to call ourselves children of God. That there'll be a primal cry that draws you closer to him as you live in the reality of this life. And through all of that, it would draw us closer together with one another. And that communally, as a family, we begin to lift Jesus up in all that we do. That we would be a people who not only walk in, but pray in with, in line with, the Spirit of God.